research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. The co-host, as always, Eric Eggers, dressed very nicely with the tie. It's a big day. You know, it's Book Launch Tuesday. It is. It is Book Launch Tuesday. Uh, very excited. My new book, Blood Money, uh, is out today. I've uh, been working on it for two years, so we're very excited. Eric, of course, is always uh, involved in the process of the book with the research and, uh, uh, you know, the messaging and, and uh, you know, the media rollout. So what is your... What do you think is the best part of the book? The best part of the book. Boy, I'll tell you, you know, and I'm, I'm reminded when you asked me that question about being an English major in college yeah. and the professor calls on you to talk about the book, you know, it's like, <laughs> clearly you read it, right? And then the go-to move is like, yeah, I liked it so much. It reminded me of this other book. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of Red Hand. It's a very similar thing. All Shakespeare's the same. All Schweitzer is the same. Is that is that the point here? Schweitzer, China, they're bad. Okay, next. No, I, but I do think that Blood Money takes... I mean, look, Red Handed was a cultural phenomenon. I think your a publisher actually said that. It's not just a book. It's a movement. And I think for the first time you said, look, China's doing some stuff with American help and support, and they've been able to acquire that help and support you have Joe Biden on the cover of this book. You have Joe Biden on the cover of Blood Money. You know, Red Handed was number one for seven weeks. So if it doesn't, if it's not broken, don't fix it, obviously. <laughs> but I do think that you take some of the reporting in Red Handed and build on it in an important way, and in a way that connects uh, America's complicity in terms of its business with China and failing to stand up to protect American lives and connects it to some of the real problems we face in American society in a way you've never done before. Uh, so I think that's actually my favorite. Cause so we actually, some people, Seamus Bruner has been on this podcast before we took a trip to Hillsdale college, right? Mm -hmm. This August conservative, uh, academic establishment in Michigan. We went in February because we're trying to hire some people. We figured going in February would be a great time to attract them to come work in Florida. Yeah. And the number one thing I heard from these Hillsdale kids was what they're interested in doing is reporting on what's problems in American culture. Yeah. And what I love about blood money is you actually connect the things that we do really well at GAI, which is follow the money, but you connect it, I think, for the first time to problems with American culture. And I think yeah. with the fentanyl crisis specifically, I think is probably the biggest, newsiest takeaway. Yeah, I mean, the 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 mind picture that I think we developed as we were looking at the book and what we found in the research is America's on fire. China's holding an empty can of gasoline. And our leaders are remaining silent. I mean, in other words, if you look at the country today, whether it's the, the, the drug issue with fentanyl, whether it's violence in the streets, uh, whether it's social chaos, division, you know, in cyberspace, uh, you know, issues like the trans movement, there's all this social tumult. And it's not to say that China caused all of it, but China is absolutely the accelerant. Uh, in trying to make these things worse. And it's part of this strategy that they call disintegration warfare. And the strategy is basically, hey, 
Let's basically pit Americans at each other. Let's cause all kinds of chaos and all, all kinds of tumult, and we will lead them to implode or to defeat themselves. Now, you just use the phrase that you know what it means. I know what it means. We've been familiar with it. It's actually sort of the linchpin of this book, the premise mm-hmm. of the book. But what is disintegration warfare? And where did the idea that China is waging disintegration warfare against the United States come from? Yeah, the idea that they're waging this against us comes from a book, actually, that that Chinese military officers wrote in 2010 called disintegration warfare. So it came from China. Exactly. (laughs) So the idea that China's waging war against the United States actually came from the Chinese themselves. That's right. And this is actually- Chinese military personnel. Yeah, Chinese military personnel. And this is kind of an idea that has been part of Chinese strategic thought going back thousands of years. Sun Tzu, who wrote The Art of War, or that's the collection of his writings, sort of this mysterious strategist that a lot of people like to quote online. Uh, he or said, in the Instagram profile. Yeah, either way. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, he wrote um, in The Art of War that the best strategist is the one that defeats his enemy without actually fighting him. That was kind of the premise behind the strategy. And then in the 1990s, these military officers uh, wrote a book called Unrestricted Warfare, which was the idea that the United States is so powerful militarily, let's not go head to head. Let's think of crazy ways we can undermine them. Disintegration warfare says America's vulnerable. It's got these fissures in internally, you know, socially, racially. Um, so let's exploit them um, and let's get them. Uh, fighting against each other because as one military officer we quote in the book says it saps america of its strength uh so they can take advantage of it and what i think blood money reveals is all those fissures that you just mentioned uh you can absolutely connect chinese influences too you did mark levin earlier this week and um i sat in that chair and listened to you do it and you mentioned and this is like not what we're going to talk about today, but just as an example, the kinds of things that you will discover in this book that will blow your mind is includes, I think, that the some of the people behind the trans movement, for example, is an American who is, currently lives in China and has like, serious and lucrative financial ties to the Chinese government. Yeah, yeah. Two of the biggest funders of the trans movement in the United States are actually billionaires based in China. One is actually Chinese, a guy mm-hmm. named Joe Tsai. He co-founded Alibaba. Um, he's not trans. There's no evidence his family members are trans. Uh, and he's poured tens of millions of dollars into uh, the trans issue in the United States. Um, the second one is a guy named Roy Singham. He's an American. He built a company called ThoughtWorks. He did a lot of work for the Chinese government uh, in in building that business. He eventually sold that business to a private equity firm that's partly owned by the Chinese government. That reportedly made him a billionaire. He's poured $160 million over the last couple of years into radical causes in the United States, including the trans movement. But here's the kicker, Eric. Both of these guys who are advocating for trans issues in the United States don't actually advocate for them in China, mm-hmm. which leads. I wonder why that is. Yeah, exactly. You wonder why that is. Um, and I think my view is it's because they they think it's a weapon. They think it's a weapon. It's very divisive in the United States. It's kind of emerged from nowhere in this country. Uh, and you need funding for for a movement like this to capture attention. Uh, it needs funding. And the funding, two of the largest sources are these gentlemen that that are in China. So the fentanyl, I mean, excuse me, the, the trans movement or fueling social divisions could be considered a weapon that attacks us mentally and emotionally. Yeah. But fentanyl, as you detail, attacks us physically. And actually, one of the smartest things I think I heard you say in the many conversations that you and I've had and elsewhere is 
thinking about the research and what it means is, you know, you have 100,000 people die of drug overdoses a year. Many of them, over 70% at least, can be linked to fentanyl. But no one takes fentanyl on purpose. And so I think you cited somebody that said, well, you could actually consider it a poisoning. So you could consider tens of thousands, if not 100,000 deaths a year are by fentanyl poisoning in this country. And what you do is you connect the fentanyl to the chemicals that come from China, and you've got at best a laissez-faire attitude from the Biden administration, the United States government, who also has business connections to the people that make money off of this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so uh, people, a lot of people understand that that the fentanyl precursors come from China. Uh, that's talked about in the news all the time. What I point out in the book is China's involvement is far, far, far deeper than that. The precursors come from China. They're shipped to a port in Mexico. 90% of them go to the port of Manzanillo in Mexico. The international terminal at that port is actually run by a Chinese company, which is wild. To yes, me. it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> Not American 2000 Chinese employees. Yeah. Yeah. And, and no Mexican uh, company, no American company. So the precursors arrive at this port terminal that's controlled by the Chinese. They then ship it to a, a city in northern Mexico where 2000 Chinese nationals help turn those precursors into actual fentanyl. Once they now have this poison, this fentanyl. They need to make pills, right? Because as you said, most people that die of fentanyl overdoses, the vast majority don't even know they're taking fentanyl. They think they're taking a Vicodin or they think they're taking an Adderall. You know, some college kids cramming for a final exam. So his pal says, here, take an Adderall. They think they're taking Adderall, but it's laced with fentanyl. When you act like the college kids, that's just my favorite is when you think. <laughs> I try to act like a Schweitzer skit time. Hey, young man. Yeah. But but so now you've got the the uh, fentanyl. You need to put them in pill form because right. that's where where people are dying. Well, those pill presses that are used to make those pill forms, where do they come from? They come from China, and the Chinese companies are selling them to the cartels at cost. That's according to our Department of Homeland Security. In other words, they're not like out to make a profit on this right. from the cartels. So the motivation is not financial. It's not financial. And so now you have these pills. They get smuggled across our open border. If you're a drug cartel, you have to have secure means of communication. So what do you do? You use Chinese communication devices because they know that the Chinese will not share those encrypted communications with U.S. law enforcement. And then the final. Uh, so just to, just to go back. Yeah. The Mexican cartels are using Chinese communication devices. Correct. Because they know that they are secure and they will not, the Chinese will not share them with U.S. law enforcement. And when we talk about Chinese communication devices, what do we mean? We're talking about WeChat, for example, which is a well-known, uh, uh, you know, app that people use. There's a, there was a device called Phantom, uh, that, um, was actually produced by a Canadian company, but the servers were in Hong Kong, which is controlled by China that, that, that provide the secure telecommunications. But beyond that, once the cartels have sold the product in the United States, they need to launder money. Now, Now, back in the days of cocaine, they used to launder the money in Latin American banks. Right. They now launder the money. The Mexican drug cartels, Sinaloa and others, launder the money through Chinese state-owned banks. And they oftentimes, in the United States, use students, Chinese students that are here on education visas to do it, according to our government. So fentanyl is a Chinese-run operation through and through. Every step of the way, from literally the port, to then the employees were across the border and then the communication devices that the cartels are using to get into the country. And then the money gets sent back to China with the laundering. Yeah, exactly. With the money laundering. So it is a Chinese run operation. And the problem with the Bidens, the reason Joe Biden is on the cover of this book is the 
Chinese organized crime syndicate that set up the Sinaloa cartel. The Sinaloa cartel are the kings of fentanyl. Right. Like how do, if you're them. the Mexican cartel, how do you all of a sudden become business partners with China? Exactly. Right. How do you, how do you how do you even get the precursors? How do you get the pill presses? How do you get all of that? You get it because a criminal syndicate called UBG, based out of China, um, set you up. Now, one of the heads of this um, criminal organization. By, by the way, just for fun, yeah. UBG. I mean, I know it's sort of no. like. It's United Bamboo Gang. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> United Bamboo Gang is the name of the gang. Right. Which is, and you can look it up. It sounds up. a little cuddly, actually. It, it, right? it's, it makes it's, you think of panda bears. It does. It does. It's, it's but a it's weird actually name. quite fatal and yeah. quite dangerous. Yeah, right? it is very dangerous. And so the gang. chairman of UBG is whom? Uh, one of the leaders is yeah. White Wolf. A right. guy, his name is Zhang Anlo. He goes by the name White Wolf. One of White Wolf's business partners actually gave the Biden family $5 million. Um, and that's the reason I think that Joe Biden will not talk about Chinese involvement in fentanyl. I'm not saying that Joe Biden's involved in the drug trade, but right. what I'm saying is this is a deeply embarrassing thing. If Joe Biden and his administration makes a point of Chinese involvement in the fentanyl trade, now all of a sudden questions about White Wolf, about the flow of this money from his business partner are going to be raised. And by the way, this problem also exists with the Biden's lawyer, Abby Lowell. A lot of people see me. He's always sitting by Hunter Biden. Abby Lowell has served as the legal representative for another Chinese businessman named Heng Lam Seng, um, who is the uh, involved with another Chinese organized gang, which is also reportedly involved in the drug trade. So this is a problem upon a problem. They do not want to have a conversation of how China is killing 100,000 Americans every year. So just to, to kind of circle back, and this is a very serious issue, and yeah. we want to give some details to support uh, these claims. You believe that the Bidens will not speak out firmly against China's role in the fentanyl trade and the impact it has in terms of killing thousands, tens of thousands, if not 100,000 Americans each year. And you point out, and I think this is maybe among the more damning aspects of like, hey, what has happened to keep Joe Biden from being more outspoken? Because as you point out three decades ago, Senator Joe Biden was outspoken with Beijing's role in the international heroin trade, right? It was like yes. among the people calling them out for the illicit activities. But as you say, as president, he's grown far more silent. Uh, the fentanyl status, the fentanyl issue does not is not treated as a crisis by the Biden White House. Right. Things like monkeypox get a czar in yeah. the White House. Yeah. Fentanyl does not. And in 2022, the Biden administration named 22 countries as being transit points for drugs for producers or producers of drugs. And one country that was curiously absent from the list, as you point out, was also China. So yeah. the Bidens have had chances to be more aggressive with what they're asking China to do, and they have not done so. They met President Biden and President Xi in November of last year in San Francisco. They took a walk through the garden. And from there, the language was hardly uh, aggressive, you would say, President Biden. Yeah, President I mean, Xi. President Biden said we would like China's cooperation on fentanyl, but no finger pointing. You know, this is what they always say, no finger pointing. In fact, the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, uh, Joe Biden's longtime aide, now Secretary of State, even gave an interview on CBS News where he claimed that some of these precursors are being shipped to mexico from china accidentally <laughs> I, I don't know how that happens you know where, where do those tubs of precursors go oh we accidentally shipped them i mean it's ridiculous um and and the bottom line is is joe biden's well aware as you mentioned i right. talk about in the book 
that China has been involved in the drug trade in the past. In the 1990s, heroin, the vast majority of that street heroin in the United States was coming from Chinese, uh, you know, organized crime from China. He called them out in 1992. He condemned the Bush administration for it. Now it's happening with fentanyl and he is radio silent. He will not confront them on it. Two things. Number one, do you not think that China's role in the heroin production back in the 90s was a different form of the same general mission to conduct warfare and weaken the United States vulnerable like human population. Yes, absolutely. And it's it's their revenge for the opium wars. You know, the opium wars where at one point in the in the 19th century, it's estimated it's shocking to consider 25 percent of the Chinese people were addicted to opium. That's the estimate. Um, And from the Chinese perspective, this was the British who were forcing opium into the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, People were making a lot of money uh, on it. And and the Chinese government was weak and the Chinese government could not stand up to the Western powers to prevent this overdosing and this addiction that was taking place. And this is a big part of Chinese history. Every uh, student learns about it in China as they should. It was a horrific time. This is their revenge. This is their response to what happened. And this has been playing out over the course of decades. They certainly did it in the 1990s with her heroin, but what fentanyl allows them to do it is to do it on steroids because fentanyl is far more potent. Mm-hmm. It's far more poisonous. And you know, you're taking heroin, but yes. you don't know you're taking fentanyl. That's right. That's exactly right. So it is not your fentanyl poisoning is not your traditional drug issue where people are hooked on a drug and the heroin addict keeps taking more and more heroin at a higher dose to get the high and they eventually kill themselves. The vast majority of people that die of fentanyl poisoning don't know they're even taking fentanyl. So if you wonder why it's a problem when we spend time on this podcast and the reporting that we do talking about the Biden family's business ties to China in red handed, you mentioned the fact that you could trace at least $31 million worth of money that's made its way to the Biden family from Chinese intelligence officers, right? Chinese spies, essentially. And so we know the Bidens are taking money from communist China, but what you've done in blood money is connect their business interests with those same Chinese businessmen, uh, Yi Yingming, the chairman of this Chinese energy company, who, by the way, James Biden and Hunter Biden have met with. They try, James Biden tried to get Chairman Yi and CEFC to fund that failed AmeriCorps disaster. That's been reported even in Politico. So, I mean, this guy is neck deep in Biden business yeah. dealings. And, and he was business partners with White Wolf. And he was business partners with White Wolf, who is the person who has helped the Mexican cartels funnel fentanyl via Chinese precursor into the United States. Yeah. UBG, United Bamboo Group, um, is the uh, criminal organization. And White Wolf is a leader of that organization. Uh, He is seen as the the, the sort of spiritual inspiration for all of them. He served time in the United States for drug distribution going back to the 1980s. So he's been doing this for a long time. Uh, He is the guy that is business partners with the gentleman who sent $5 million to the Biden family. So who really wants to have a conversation about fentanyl? When you've got that kind of fact lingering out there, and this is exclusive to blood money, this has not been reported before. We also show similar types of ties that exist with uh, Governor Gavin Newsom of California. He's got the same kinds of entanglements. He brushes very close uh, and is involved with individuals tied to Chinese organized crime that are distributing drugs in the United States. Adam Schiff 
has connections with individuals involved in money laundering, particularly those involved in 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 the drug trade. Um, so you've got this one degree of separation that's deeply embarrassing. And neither of those political figures have talked about China's involvement in this either. So let me ask you a question. Is it do you think it's possible? And I don't know the answer to this. But given that the Chinese Communist Party, they exert that central control over the business apparatus in China. Is it possible that to do business in China, like just because you're a company, you're trying to, there's a big population over there. Is it possible to do business in China and not find yourself with these level of criminal entanglements? No, it isn't. Uh, And part of the problem is, is if you look at the Chinese state, President Xi himself Uh, And I talk about this in the book. President Xi himself, he really cut his teeth in the Communist Party in Fujian province. What is Fujian province? Fujian province is the central location of Chinese organized crime. Uh, And he really fused together with the CCP. He has a cousin uh, that has been linked to Chinese organized crime. Uh, There are people that have been appointed to senior positions in the CCP as advisors who are known leaders in Chinese organized crime. So Chinese organized crime networks and the CCP work in conjunction together. They basically struck a bargain back in the 1980s under Deng Xiaoping, where the uh, Chinese organized crime pledged themselves to be patriots, to be loyal to the CCP. And the CCP said, you do whatever you want, just don't do it in China. So the reason China does not have a fentanyl crisis like we have in the United States is Chinese organized crime knows we can do it in in, in uh, the United States. Uh, the CCP encourages that, supports it, but we're not going to do it in China. That's part of the bargain they struck. And maybe the biggest takeaway is the things that China is funding and facilitating in the United States don't happen in China. Right. And that's how you know it's an intentional, it's not just like a cultural manifestation of a broken population. No, it's, this is things they have intentionally sown in our culture and in our society because they are attempting to wage this disintegrated warfare. We had somebody write us the other day that said, based on the number of fentanyl deaths that happen to military age males, and you have stats on this as well, it's essentially the same rate of combat deaths during World War II from 41 to 45. I mean, the number of people that are dying in this country because of fentanyl that we now can connect to China and China's businesses to the Biden administration, it's staggering. Yeah, I mean, you, if you look at the number, you can give lots of uh, comparisons. The number of people dying from fentanyl every year, it's the equivalence of the atomic bombing of Nagasaki every year in the United States. Or it's the equivalent of a jetliner being shot down every single day, 365 days a year. Uh, Fentanyl poisoning is now the leading cause of death in America for people under the age of 45. So this is a potent, powerful weapon. Uh, and and uh, China, um, in their you know, strategic outlook, uh, they have these, these uh, sort of descriptors of what, what their uh, strategic view on. And one of them is murder with a borrowed knife. In other words, one of the ways that you can eliminate opponent is murder them with a knife that you don't own. So mm-hmm. you can't be blamed for it. And, and the fentanyl poisoning is an example of murdering with a borrowed knife, because what is the conversation in America? It's the Mexican drug cartels. Mm. It's the Mexican government. Ultimately, it's not the headwaters of this, the organizers of this, the people that make this work are the Chinese government and the CCP. And the biggest reason why we might not be serious, kind of regardless of who the president is of, of a, addressing this issue, is because there are so, there's so much money to be made with American businesses and Chinese economy. 
And the fact is that, that while that's true at a macro level, as you point out, blood money, it's also true at a micro level with the Biden administration, the, in the person that's the head of the United States government, his family has also made significant amount of money from people who have business ties, direct ties to the fentanyl crisis in this yeah, country. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you can look at some of the people involved in the fentanyl trade in China. Um, you know, the Biden administration touts that, well, you know, if you're a Chinese official and you're connected with the fentanyl trade and we discover it, we're going to put economic sanctions on you. We're going to get real serious about it. The Chinese laugh about this. Yeah. Um, there, there's there's a businessman named uh, Wan um, who is involved with Chinese organized crime, uh, was identified as being involved in the fentanyl trade. Sanctions were put on him. Guess what? In March of 2021, the CCP gives him an award. After this happens, and he gives a fiery speech about how he is doing what he is doing to help China beat the United States. So they're laughing right. at, at these sanctions, at these policies. And the thing is, is if the roles were reversed, if we were actually injecting this poison into China, do we not believe that the Chinese leadership would be every single day in our face talking about this, exposing it, calling us into account? That's what we should expect from our government. And we're not getting that from the Biden administration. And I believe it's in part because of these commercial ties that the Bidens have specifically with a business partner, White Wolf. And the scariest part about this uh, for people that are watching the podcast or listening to it is, you know, we will do a few more podcasts about this book because fentanyl is just one of the ways, uh, one of the weapons that China is using in their disintegrated warfare campaign against us. It is perhaps the most damaging uh, and lethal physically, but there are many other weapons they're using that damage us at the very core of our fabric of society. Uh, and so it is, it's quite troubling. I encourage everybody to look at the book. It's an excellent book. It's a lot of work because, you know, we work here in the government accountability institute. We have the meetings just next door with people around the table. He may seem like this international man of mystery. He's just like casually dropping all these Chinese names and provinces and everything else. You should see him with his Orvis sweatshirt up at the whiteboard. <laughs> That's actually where he's at his happiest. The, uh, and so there's a lot of really good stuff in this book. So if you haven't yet uh, acquired it, I encourage you to do so because I think you will find it eye-opening and terrifying, but in the best of ways. Yeah. Uh, but to me, the most troubling thing I'm, I've learned from today is that, yes, China's waging warfare against us. Uh, but worse than that, it sounds like if they're essentially sending fentanyl as revenge for the opium that the British sent them, they're clearly racist because that's a different country. You know, yeah. it's like, hey, different country. we yeah. fought a war against them too, guys. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know? Well, they view it as the West, right? We're all the West. Um, certainly, there is a growing fentanyl crisis in in Britain as well. But yes, it is a it is a competition and it is a effort to wage war on the West. And unfortunately, they're succeeding not because they have a better system, not because they're smarter, but because we have bad leadership that in some cases is compromised. There are other leaders that don't want to talk about this, frankly, Eric, because they may not have those financial entanglements, but. There's a lot of go along to get along people mm -hmm. in Washington. If you look at what's in this book, you look at what China's doing to us, you can't have a normal relationship with this country right now. You can't say, let's sit down and talk about a trade policy until these issues are addressed. And there's a lot of people in D.C. They want their job to be easy. They want it to be pain free. Uh, and the facts in this book make their life very, very complicated. So that's the reason other people are not addressing these issues as well. Well, let's end on a happy note, because um, while there are a lot of go along, get along people, not everyone in Washington, D.C. is that way. You went there to Washington, D.C., to our nation's capital, and you met with members of Congress and you kind of briefed them on the findings in this book. Um, 
and some of them decided not to go along to get along. Yeah, no, there, there are a couple of uh, uh, people that we met with. We tried to meet with a series of people, Republicans and Democrats. Uh, some of the people we met with, uh, we shared with some of the findings in the book. Um, they were very concerned. These are people that are already concerned about China, but I think it has raised it to another level. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, I was very impressed with um, her grasp of the issues and concerns over this. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina uh, was another example of that. Um, Congressman Comer, the head of the Oversight Committee, we met with him. He's very concerned, particularly about this Biden piece uh, involving uh, the fentanyl trade. Um, So, uh, yes, we've got to continue to fight. And I think the bottom line is the first thing we have to do is be informed. Mm -hmm. When I look back, you know, as a kid studying the American Revolution, my favorite character was Paul Revere. First, because he got to ride that cool horse through towns shouting in the middle of the night. That's cool, right? But the other thing is, The first step to all of this was warning people, this is what's going on. And the key thing is we can rally and we can win. It's just a question of us understanding what's going on and holding our leaders into account. And oh, by the way, Hunter Biden will be testifying in Congress this week about his business deals. And I would imagine based on the fact that we this information is out there, you're able to ride through the streets of Washington, D.C. and, you know, or at least get your get uber blacked through the streets of Washington, (laughs) D.C. and let people know that the Chinese are coming, that I think that we'll continue to see the information from this book make headlines in the future because the people that matter are informed based on your research. It's a really cool thing. And uh, I'm very proud of the work that you've done and the work that the team that supports this research has done. It's a, it's a big day for us. It's a big book. And uh, if red handed is any guide to how blood money is going to do, I think you'll find it continue to shape conversations in the most relevant of ways nationally. Well, we've got a great team here. And of course, you're a central part of that as well. We love what we do. We think it's important. We work very hard and we like to share it with people. And we still believe in the old fashioned way with books. With a book, you have an opportunity to go in depth, uh, parade the research in front of people. um, And I still think it is relevant today. So we appreciate you as always listening to this program. We know that your time is valuable. We know there are a lot of podcasts out there, but thank you for taking the time to listen to this show uh, you can find out more about our research at the drilldown.com and of course you can find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are located thanks so much until next time